0: Dear Father, we thank you for always being before us in our thoughts as we move through the days, knowing that you are with us. We thank you, dear Spirit, for indwelling us and leading us to the paths, as you say, of righteousness. Help us as we look at you, dear Lord, as we look at your work and your ministry and who you are to help us to understand it in a way that. It's true and right give us grace and wisdom as we learn together we pray in jesus name amen so catching up chapter one is introduction to the bible the bible is true chapter two to know what the bible says we have to study it chapter three is the characteristics and attributes of god what is he like Chapter 4 is the person of the Lord Jesus, God who was a man, and the man who was God. We looked at that. Chapter 5 chapter five was on the work of Christ, and then chapter 6 was on salvation. Here we are in chapter 7, the person and ministry of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes you might find that sometimes they'll use the word pneumatology. That is the study of the Holy Spirit. Pneuma meaning spirit that's that's here. Let's look at our verse John fourteen sixteen Here's our memory verse. Let me encourage you to memorize it John fourteen sixteen and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. Okay guys, do you remember the setting? For when Jesus said that, what was happening? Night of his betrayal, Judas had already left, and now he's talking to the 11 remaining. And he starts chapter 14 with this. Let not your hearts be troubled, because everything that they knew and had was because of him. And he said... Let not your hearts be troubled. And we see here in verse 16, this is the first of several verses on the Holy Spirit in Jesus' upper room discourse. This is the first of Him speaking of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is going to be the counselor, He's going to be the helper. Jesus is leaving. But he says, I will send another. That's here, the first of multiple promises of the Holy Spirit. And note this at the end of the verse, in the memory verse. He may be with you forever. The Old Testament saints didn't have that. New Testament believers on to this moment in time, in the future, have it. So with the Holy Spirit being with believers forever, A.W. Tozier said this. He said, we have a celebrity in our midst. Isn't that true? Everywhere we go, everywhere we are, for the Christian, the Holy Spirit is with that individual. Of course, the Lord fills the heavens and the earth says in Jeremiah 23, but with the believer, the Christian, he's with us always. We go wherever we go and he's with us forever is the promise of what Jesus says here. Because the Holy Spirit is a member of the triune God, this is from Paul Enns, from his Moody Theology Handbook, which I suggest if you don't have one, if you can get your hands on a copy, is great. It's by Paul N's E-N-N-S. He said, Because the Holy Spirit is a member of the Triune Godhead, the special study of His person and work could not be more important, as might be expected wherever God and His truth are involved. False teaching has developed to distort or deny orthodox doctrine unquote that's very true so for example this is right out of mormon doctrine mormonism believes that the view of the holy spirit is that he is not god but is an influence or electricity like an emanation from god that's what mormon doctrine teaches or jehovah's witnesses their view is that he is impersonal and is not God, but rather an invisible acting force from Jehovah. That's from their doctrinal handbook. Can a person believe that the Holy Spirit is not God and be saved? No, when faced with the truth of learning Holy Spirit doctrine or teaching, maybe not having heard it before. Of course, we're always saved by believing in Christ. And that he's Lord and rose from the dead. When confronted with other truth and doctrine, that he is a person, as we'll go into more detail here, the Bible teaches us that we have to believe that he is who he is. Hebrews Hebrews 11. So when we come across truth we've never heard before, The question always goes back to chapter 1 and 2. All Scripture is given by God. It's true. Anytime we're confronted with truth that we haven't heard before, we always want to compare what's being said to what the Bible says to see if it's so, just like the Bereans in Acts 17 for confirmation of what's being said or correction. And so as we're going to look here in a little bit, The Holy Spirit is not an influence. The Holy Spirit is not a she or an it. And there are people who believe those things. So let's let's see what the Bible says. This will be in your notes. The Holy Spirit is God. The Bible identifies Him as one of three persons existing as one God. That is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We will study who the Holy Spirit is and His presence and ministry in the believer's life. Let's look at Roman numeral one. The Holy Spirit is a person, a key truth to understand. So He's recognized as a person. Personal pronouns like he or him are used to refer to the Holy Spirit rather than it. How many number of times of he or him are used in John 14, 17 to refer to the Holy Spirit? That the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. How many times? Four times? Just in one verse. That's important because not only is he a person, let's reverse that. A person can't talk to, rely on, be convicted by, taught by, encouraged by, and it. It's always a person. And so the Holy Spirit possesses and exhibits the attributes of a person. And any denial of that is inaccurate. It's inaccurate. Because the Bible teaches who he is. So that's, he's recognized as a person. I know we're in a Bible teaching church. These things are common. If you've been around the Bible teaching church for any period of time, it is not common. This is uncommon to think that he is a person. It's common in the world to think of him as an it or a she or an influence or electricity as an emanation from Jehovah. So I know this may sound obvious. It's not obvious. Only the person who's saved agrees. Because we're going to find out as we go through this particular chapter, we'll see that the natural man does not receive these things the unsaved person does not receive them as true let's look at these attributes there's a lot of reading to do tonight so i think what i'd like to do if we can and if you don't want to read just tell the person next to you and but we want to go through here and read these we'll start over here with with eric kind of work our way back to tj work our way back to emily back to Dwayne over there pass over here to Mark, work our way around the back, over to Kathy, come around in here, back to Michael and Grant, just kind of work our way around, okay? And I'll look at you when we're ready, um, and if you need to look it up, need some time to look it up, that's fine, we'll just take our time to look them up. So we're going to start with Romans 8:27. we're looking at uh, his intellect, the attributes of personality, he possesses the ability to know and understand reality, Romans 8:27, because... Of this, go ahead, Eric. When you're ready. What does he have? He has a what? He has a mind. Yeah, not an influence. By himself, he has a mind. Yet we're not. We, we want to remember God is one. yet three. And in this three persons, the Holy Spirit has a mind. 1 Corinthians 2.10. What does He search? 1 Corinthians 2.10. You want that, Harrison? You mind? 1 Corinthians 2.10. I'm going to jump back to you, uh, TJ. If you could read Ephesians 4.30, because I'm going to have him read a couple of verses there. 1 Corinthians 2.10. 1 Corinthians 2.10. Is that what you have? Okay. What, what is it that he's looking for? What's he searching? What specifically? Depths of God. That's right. Good. Searches things. What that mean? The Holy Spirit has a mind and he's searching the things of God. He searches, meaning to examine or investigate a matter. So what does he do? He examines the depths of God and does this. Reveals them to believers. You ever had in your mind where you're reading along, you're reading the Bible, and it seems clearer to you, Go, oh, yeah, that makes sense. That's the Holy Spirit. He's searching the depths of of God. That's who He is. And then He r- reveals that. He's, he's searching those things and reveals them to Christians. Verse 11. Could you read that one for me too? First Corinthians 2.11. The Holy Spirit knows what? The things of God. He knows the things of God. No human being has an awareness or knowledge of the thoughts of God. Nobody does. But the Holy Spirit understands the mind of God. Why? Because He has the mind of God. That's the idea. And if we were to drop down to verse 14, 1 Corinthians 2... The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. What? Their foolishness to him. So have you ever talked to somebody who's a non-Christian and they, they disagree with you and they say, oh, that's not right or that's your opinion or I don't agree with that because they can't understand it. And the Bible says it's foolishness to them. The, the word for foolish there is, it's it's moronic. They're, the Bible says they're morons. That's not to be cruel. It's just a description of those who aren't saved. So they can't receive the things of God. They don't have the mind of God. And if we drop down to verse 16, we Paul writes, we have the mind of Christ. Christ and the Holy Spirit one with the Father? Yes. Are they... Yet three, yes. So we, we have the mind of Christ or the Spirit. So he has intellect. He has the ability to know and understand reality. Another attribute of his personality is emotion. He possesses the ability to experience emotion. You might underline that word experience. Isn't that an interesting way of describing this? No think of the Holy Spirit as experiencing anything. Let's see how He does it. Ephesians 4: 30, 30. Ephesians 4:30. Got that T.J? Okay What's the emotion that was just described? Grieve. Okay. When somebody's grieving, what does that mean? They're grieving because of a situation. Sorrow 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 and if we were to go and read these verses listen to what the holy spirit is grieved by verse 25 by believer sins by the way he is grieved when we lie that's verse 25 he's grieved when we're angry it's verse 26 he's grieved when we steal how about this one he's grieved when we're lazy Verse 28, speaking unkind words, that's verse 29. So we sin when we do these things. We cause Him to be sorrowful. So can an influence be grieved? Of course not. It's a person. He shows feelings. There are other descriptions or references which are given only to a person as the Spirit is. He's grieved when he's not obeyed, is resisted, blasphemed, that's Matthew 12, and insulted, Hebrews 10 29. So to think of acting and reacting to an influence is obviously incorrect. And again, I know we're bringing up obvious things. But he is a person, and he is indwelling us, and he is with us wherever we go. So emotion. What else? Let's look at volition. He possesses possesses the ability to determine or act decisively. Listen to the decision or judgment in which the Holy Spirit demonstrates his attribute of volition. That's 1 Corinthians 12, 7 and 11. Okay, Annie, whenever you're ready. And then verse 11. Coming up in a future study in our workbook, we're going to look at spiritual gifts. Every Christian has a spiritual gift or a spiritual enablement. Look at what Annie read, verse 11. What does the Holy Spirit do on spiritual gifts? He distributes to each believer individually. Why? For the edification of the church. To build up the body. God has an accomplishment and decree in the world. Remember from last week, His decree? From eternity past, He fixed things in the future for His glory. And He's working towards that end, orchestrating all those events included in that. Our believers in the world to use their spiritual gifts either to build up the body or those who are in the working world or in the neighborhood to tell people about the Lord. And it's an enablement. One's called evangelism. One is called edifying. Evangelism, unbelievers. Edifying, believers. The Holy Spirit individually sought you out and gave you a spiritual gift or gifts. We'll do a spiritual gifts no inventory, I don't like calling it a test because it's not really a test because there are no wrong answers. But it will give us and give you uh, an idea of what your spiritual gift is or are. Holy Spirit gave you that or those. Really interesting. Acts 13.2, look at the decision he makes here in this particular verse, Acts 13.2 Okay, Emily. What's the word we're looking for there? Right at the end of the verse. What does he do? Calls. He calls us. The Holy Spirit calls people for the work he intends. Puritans, you say things like this kind of help bring things together. Speaking of calling, as he called people here in Acts 13. There is not a better evangelist in the world than the Holy Spirit. Yeah, their way of condensing truths because he he calls people. He summons people. We went through that in our study in salvation in chapter 6. He's the one who calls. Okay, so there you go. Those are the first three you see there, intellect, emotion, and volition and attributes of personality. Let's go to page 54. We have to remember that the Holy Spirit is God. This is another key truth to understand. In your box there, it says, in attributes Holy Spirit, attributes of deity. You'll see that He knows everything. He's omniscient, Isaiah 40. He's everywhere present, Psalm 139, 7. He's always been the beginning or end. Hebrews 9.14. And he's true. Has integrity. 1 John 5.7. I have for you here some additional titles of attributes for the Holy Spirit. It's not in your notes. So you're welcome to have a copy. There's a whole list. I think you might find reading in time. And there's scripture references so you can kind of see what's here um, so i'm just gonna leave it past, take one if you want one pass them around if you want there you go great we're not going to go through those just because of time but that's just for you okay statements of deity so we see he's God himself Let's look at particular statements in 2 Corinthians 3.17. We're going to jump back. Dwayne, you want to take that one? Second Corinthians 3.17. What's the key statement that shows the Holy Spirit is God? He's the Lord. Lord is the Spirit. Yeah, that's right. That's a personal name for God. That Lord there, in your Bible, is it in capital letters or is it in lowercase? In lowercase. Anytime you see Lord written that way, that's referring to His sovereignty. Anytime you see Lord in uppercase, L-O-R-D in uppercase, that's Yahweh. That's a name for God. That's His essence. Here, you'll see that that's a statement of His sovereignty. In Acts 5, 3 to 4, lying to the Holy Spirit is the same thing as lying to who? Acts 5, 3 to 4. Lying to the Holy Spirit is the same thing as lying to God. Same thing. And that's the point. is They're driving home the point of the statements of deity. F.D. Bruner said this, What the Spirit does is exactly what the Spirit does. The Spirit's work is not an additional or special work beyond the Lord's. The Spirit is the Lord at work. You ever sometimes think of the spirit being lesser or sometimes don't even think about the spirit or sometimes don't even pray to the spirit is it okay to pray to the spirit of course cuz he's god and part of the work of the spirit is to turn attention away from himself and to the Lord Jesus. That's his work. That's why he's known as the silent shepherd. He shepherds the believer by leading us in truth, bearing witness with us to understand the truth and comprehend it, all the while turning our attention to the Son. But he's still Lord and he's still at work doing what he does and that's the point here so the holy spirit is god let's look at the work of the spirit roman numeral three at psalm 104 verse 30 we're looking at the holy spirit is active in something here let's see what the psalmist says in psalm 104 verse 30 whenever you 30 What's the holy spirit active in thank you michelle what's creation of course that's the first major work of the holy spirit in genesis 1 1 to 2 the work of divine creation number b letter b second peter 1 20 to 21 Do you have 2 Peter one twenty to 20? 2 Peter 1, there you go. Sure, thanks. Thank you, very good. Holy Spirit, of course, is active in, which is? Of uh, of Bible, of scripture. He's active in the writing of Scripture or work of Scripture. That was our first chapter, chapter one. All scriptures given by by God. God breathed, Holy Spirit. Second Peter one, which which he read. God breathed, he inspired. Remember, writers were not inspired. The the Bible writers were not inspired. The writings of the Bible are inspired. Okay. But they wrote according to their vocabulary and their understanding. As he read, moved along by the Spirit. Yeah, how do we understand that one? And you can see why that there is people who don't believe that the Bible is true. That they're written by um, men who are in error. And they're just written by men. The Bible was written by men. Superintended by the Spirit. Just like Jesus is God and man. How do we understand that? Because He's not 50-50. 50% 50 this, 50% that. He's, He's God and man in one being. Thus is the writings of Scripture the bible teaches us that he he moved them along as he got he breathed he breathed in that like a ship moving on the water like wind in a sails moves them along and the holy spirit was active in that that's what the bible teaches hard to understand but that's what it teaches we take it by faith because it's true because didn't we just learn in one of his attributes, that is true. Yeah. This is not in your notes, but I want to give you this. I I thought you might find it interesting that a third major event credited to the Holy Spirit is the birth of Jesus or the work of begetting Christ from Luke 1, 34 and 35. He overshadowed Mary... And it was because of Him that He was born. Let me read this to you from my notes. I hope it helps. See if some of it rings true or maybe answer some questions you may have had. The Holy Spirit's involvement in generating Christ is from Matthew one twenty, which says, The overshadowing of Mary by the Holy Spirit assured a sinless humanity of Christ. Christ in His deity is eternal. But the Holy Spirit begot the sinless human nature of Christ. Lewis Berry Schaefer, in his writings of systematic theology said this, quote, He brought the humanity of Christ into being. It is too often assumed that Mary, the mother of Christ, contributed his humanity and that the Holy Spirit contributed his deity. But a moment's reflection would disclose that the deity of Christ was his own from all eternity, and therefore was not originated at the time of his birth. He became incarnate when his eternal person took on the human form. The spirit caused the humanity of Christ to originate. And that is his act of generate generation. Unquote. How does that work? Mary's the mother. Jesus is in her womb. He's from the lineage of Joseph and Mary. How could her corrupted genetics not affect him? The Bible teaches us his humanity began by the power of the Holy Spirit as he overshadowed her. Thus, he got the perfect human nature not from mary why is that important because that's not what the catholic church teaches they teach mary is sinless therefore she can give birth to the messiah but the bible shows us time and again the power of the spirit through major events and we just went through three of them creation writing of scriptures and the overshadowing of the lord back to your notes The Holy Spirit also bears witness of Christ. We touched on that just for a little bit. And you'll see in the New Testament that He attests that Jesus is the Christ. John 15, 26. Those who believe in Jesus, by the way, that He is the Christ are saved. The Holy Spirit attests to that. We did not come up with that on our own. The Holy Spirit... Will disclose or reveal Christ in John 16, 14. That's an unveiling of who he truly is. And he will not speak of himself, John 16, 13, that we talked about a little bit ago. So that's the work of the Holy Spirit that we see here. Let's look at the ministry. Let's look at some of the service and duties that he has in salvation. One of the most important areas of the Spirit's work is with respect to God's plan of salvation. And here, as we go through this, the purpose of the Holy Spirit is not condemnation like a a judicial sense of it, like an act of conviction with a view towards sentencing. This is a conviction for a need of the Savior. That's what He's doing, that's His purpose here in these verses. Let's look at them. John 16, let's look at 7 through 8. John 16, 7 through 8. Who does He convict the world with? Sin, righteousness, and judgment. We talked about that last week in our chapter in Salvation when we talked about that. The influence of the Holy Spirit in an unbeliever who will lead that person is he's guilty, God is just, and sentencing is coming and they deserve judgment. That's basically what the Holy Spirit does in sin, righteousness, and judgment. He convicts the world of this one basic sin that everybody's guilty of what is it what does the holy spirit do when he convicts the world of sin what's that one basic sin unbelief unbelief no matter what background people have from idolaters to Thieves, homosexuals, adulterers, fornicators, all can be cleansed, including unbelief. But that is the main sin, and He convicts the world of that. That's His ministry. That's His duties. That's His service. By whom are sinners born into God's kingdom? That's John 3, 5-8. Mark, where do you? good by whom are sinners born into God's kingdom the spirit water here is a spiritual washing of the soul cleansing tying into Ezekiel 36 it's a cleansing of the soul and the spirit is the one who accomplishes it through what the gospel he does it through the means of the truth doesn't he and what mark read is so rich because he uses the lord does to nicodemus of the wind the wind can't be controlled just like a tornado Sometimes those E3, E4, E5 tornadoes have winds up to 250 miles an hour. A hurricane has a sustained wind when it's designated as a hurricane, when it's sustained at basically 70 to 75 miles an hour. And they can go on from there as they move up. What's the point? You can't control it. We can't control it. And that's what the Lord is saying it blows where it wishes. It acts with complete independence, the wind does. Nobody can tell the wind where to go. Well, they can, but it won't do anything. But we know it's there. Why? We can see its results. We can see what it does. We can see what the wind does from a tornado or a windstorm or a hurricane. It leaves devastation. You can, we can see it. It's right there. Same thing with sinners. The Holy Spirit in the power of regeneration hits the object like the wind does a building or a tree, only in this case it's a person. And He hits the object and it changes them because from within emerges the new birth. The soul's been regenerated. We see it. We see it. That's why it's so difficult sometimes when we come across individuals who are not reflecting the fruits of the Spirit or the ways of the Lord or what the Lord commands and there's disobedience there because we're seeing that what is emerging from that individual is, are not the things of God, even though there's a profession of faith that he or she is saved. And so it's confusing because we're looking at results, right? Yeah, it can be very difficult. So over time, time is always our friend because time always reveals, truth always reveals itself in time as a pattern of life. It will always show itself in conversations, what the individual says, and conduct. The two go together. What I say is a pattern. What I do is a pattern. And so for the true individual, when born into God's kingdom by the Holy Spirit, we see the impact of a regenerated soul by the means of the gospel and out emerges the new birth and the new person. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Go to page 55. We're going to continue there. What work does the Spirit do when a person is is saved. We touched on it, but let's look at it in detail. Titus 3, 5, and 6. What work does the Spirit do when a person is saved according to that verse and verses? What does He do What does He do? He He renews us and washes us with the new birth. Regeneration. That's the passive work of God in the soul. We don't feel it. We don't feel the regenerating work. Right? Right? But we see the active side of the regenerating work, conversion, faith, repentance. We see that. But the Holy Spirit comes in and He renews a dead soul, makes it new from within. That Spirit is made alive and given a new nature, new nature. What does the Spirit do when a person is saved from this verse? 1 Corinthians 12, 13. To the one what happens? What does He do? Makes us one with? The body. Mm-hmm. In your notes, the baptism by the Spirit, according to that verse Paul read, occurs only once at the time of salvation. We're placed from the kingdom of the works of the devil, placed into the kingdom and family of God. This is not water baptism. This is not water baptism. This is an identification from the movement of the Holy Spirit from one kingdom to the new kingdom, to God's kingdom. Yeah, Shirley. I'm really curious as to where people would get the idea that, because I've heard this, and the proof of the baptism of the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They would go back to 1 Corinthians 12, and listed there, and then in a couple of other chapters later, Listed there, those particular gifts, sign gifts, and get it there. And we'll talk about that coming up in a a future study in gifts. Sure. John MacArthur said this, quote, The church, the spiritual body of Christ, is formed as believers are immersed by Christ with the Holy Spirit. Let me stop there. You just come across the Bible and sometimes it will say, In Christ, you are in Christ. Okay, that means we're immersed in Him, in His person, His work. MacArthur goes on, Christ is the baptizer who immerses each believer with the Spirit into unity with all other believers. Paul's point is to emphasize the unity of believers. This is not an experience to seek, to what Shirley was asking, but a reality to acknowledge unquote this is a reality to see from the scriptures not something that i need to ex- seek it out to experience oftentimes that will show itself in the charismatic movement okay how does the holy spirit guarantee a believer's salvation that's ephesians 1 13 to 14 That whole section there is wonderful. Verse three through th- verse fourteen is actually one sentence. They just put them in separate verses for us. What does the Holy Spirit guarantee a believer's salvation? How does he do it? He seals us. What else does he do? He guarantees our inheritance. It's like putting earnest money down on a house before we buy it. I want that house. Here's my earnest money to show I'm going to buy that house. So He seals us and we're secure for a purpose. What's the purpose? Heaven. Those He foreknew, He predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son. Those He predestined, He called. Those He called, He justified. Those He justified, He glorified. Do you see the progression? So we're here today. Heaven's out here somewhere when we get there. I don't know when it is for us, but it's coming. He's guaranteeing us now. We're going to get there. And how does He do that? How does He show Himself to remind us of that guarantee? When we read the Scriptures, where they're reading, we go, that's right. Just like Ephesians 1, 13 to 14 that Kathy read, He seals me. That's right. He's confirming what the Bible says to be true inside. And that's a way to give us assurance of when we sin and we don't do what we're supposed to do. we're we're there okay he's going to convict me of my sin i'm going to confess it and i remember he sealed me and he's guaranteed it because god is jesus has given me the spirit and he lives inside spurgeon said this about the holy spirit quote the holy spirit is not only the pledge but the foretaste of everlasting bliss His influence over us brings us that same communion with God which we shall enjoy forever in heaven, unquote. See his point? As he uses Scripture to bring it into our mind because he knows the deeper things of God because he is God, he'll bring that to us and we start having a communion. He's giving us a foretaste of what's coming when there it's going to be perfect. Here it's not sealing of the Holy Spirit, in your notes, it says, A seal was an active device, usually a signet ring or cylinder seal, engraved with the owner's name or with a particular design, used to seal goods. Note this, demonstrate ownership, attest a document's authenticity, or impress an early form of a trademark. The seal indicated ownership and security. It is the guarantee of future blessings. The presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives is God's promise of our inheritance in the future. What a wonderful assurance. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit here in salvation. Roman numeral 5, the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life. What is the relationship between the Holy Spirit and the believer in Romans 8, verse 9? Wow, can it be any clearer? People who are not saved don't have the spirit. They're not saved. So here's what's the relationship between the spirit and believer? He lives in us, abides in us, indwells us. We have a celebrity within our midst, even when we're by ourselves. Is it possible to be a Christian and not be indwelled by the Holy Spirit? It's no. No. So, when again, when we talk to people about the Lord and talk to them about salvation, and you're pretty certain that they're not saved and there's rebellion and rejection and resistance, and they say no, it's because they're responding to their nature. We shouldn't be surprised by that. And not take it personally, even though it feels personal sometimes. But that doesn't mean that we don't give them the gospel and say, can we, can we talk about it a little bit? Do you mind if we talk about it a little bit? You know, Do you mind if we discuss it a little bit? Would you be willing to do that? because I don't want you to feel like I'm going to shove this down your throat. But I'd be glad to talk to you about it. I think most of the time, you and I will find most people will say yes. Most of the time, not all the time. Because basically people are uncertain, fearful, and have doubts. And don't want to be exposed to that. And don't want to be told they're wrong. Who wants to be told they're wrong? I know I didn't oh and I still don't so it's no different point is unbelievers do not have the indwelling Holy Spirit what is another ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer in first Corinthians 2 12, 13 bill that's yours What is the ministry in the life of the believer? What does he do? He gives knowledge. He gives us to know the things of God. He teaches us. Martin Luther said, proper understanding of the Scriptures comes only through the Holy Spirit. Thomas Manton said, God's mind is is revealed in Scripture, but we can see nothing without the spectacles of the Holy Spirit. A.W. Tozer said, The gospel is light, but only the Spirit can give sight. So again, I, I read those to you to remind you, as you read the Bible or hear the truth, and you're there, that's really good. I that's right. Or hear error. That's not, that's not right. Uh, I don't know where they came up with that. I need to find out what that is. That's the Holy Spirit helping you and me to give sight and discernment. Sight and discernment. That's what He does. Page 56. We've already read Ephesians 4.30. We can look at it again. What exhortation is given to all believers in regard to the Spirit? Ephesians 4.30. what's the exhortation for us in regard to the Spirit do not grieve the Holy Spirit that is an exhortation that is an encouragement and a command to not grieve Him 1 Thessalonians 5 19 Pam That's an easy one to memorize. (laughs) We ought to, yeah, there's one to memorize. Notice the difference between the verse that Jack read and what Pam read. Grieve and what? Quench. Grieve pertains to sorrow. Quench pertains to extinguish. Or not walking in the Spirit is another way of saying it. And we're not going to have time to get into the filling of the Spirit. We're some, but not as much as I'd hoped. Because the indwelling of the Spirit we never lose. Filling of the Spirit we we can lose when we quench or grieve the Spirit. Ephesians 5.18 exhortation to all believers in regard to the spirit is be controlled of course she read not be drunk with wine but the idea is to not be influenced by something else that's why the bible prohibits drunkenness because it then controls the the person and not the spirit is thus quenched or extinguished that's an exhortation in your box it says being filled with the holy spirit to be filled with the spirit is to be under his total domination and control to be filled with the spirit involves the following confession of sin surrender of will intellect body time talent possessions and desires It requires the death of selfishness and the slaying of self-will. Remember when Jesus said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself? Here's what we all have had a hard time denying, still do. Will, intellect, time, and desires. We don't want to surrender that. We want our own way. Our desires fulfilled. So when he says deny yourself, I know that was in a a context of salvation. Let those go, come to me. But that's not true for the believer. And being filled with the Spirit is when we yield to Him and not to ourselves. Last one, to be filled with God's Spirit is to be filled with His Word. And as we are filled with God's Word, it controls our thinking and action proverbs 23 7 as a man thinks so is he as we think that's what we do what's on our mind that'll come out either in actions or in words how does a christian keep from sinning this may be the verse on the christian walk right here what a great what a great yeah mm-hmm. it is Yeah, it is, Jack. Uh, Victoria, you got that? Galatians 5.16? Okay. Well, there it is. The greatest verse on sanctification, right there. Walk in the Spirit. How do we do that? The notes you saw from John MacArthur previously. We have to know what the Bible says. We listen to what the, the Bible says or what we see. And we yield to it. We yield. That's walking in the Spirit. When a believer is filled with the Holy Spirit, he, that's a believer, will exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. Let's look at our last couple of verses here. Galatians 5, 22, and 23. Aaron, those are yours. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control. Against such things there is no law. Okay. How do we know when we're filled with the Spirit? We'll exhibit the following love there's a compassion and devotion there joy pattern of life there's a happiness there there's peace or calmness there there's patience want to know if we're walking in the flesh very simple impatience when we're impatient we're walking in the flesh the bible teaches the spirit exhibits himself in endurance and patience there's a kindness there or tenderness there's a goodness there which would be excellence or something that's right there's just something good about the individual. Why? The Holy Spirit is showing itself from the inside and it's coming out. There's a faithfulness there. There's loyalty. Loyalty to God. Loyalty to the truth. Loyalty to the ways of the Lord. Loyalty to what the Bible says. There's gentleness. Kind of a meekness. And there's self-control. A person has a rule over his spirit. The person has, by the power of the Spirit, subdued his spirit. It's not out of control. That's how we know when we're filled with the Spirit. Those things show itself as a pattern of life. Then it says, are you exhibiting those qualities in your own life? Only we can answer that for ourselves or someone who knows us well enough to Maybe answer that for us. In Roman numeral 6, that's the application of 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20. And then you can fill in the blanks as it ends the chapter in the workbook. So there you go. That's the person and ministry of the Holy Spirit. I want to close with this from john macarthur he wrote a book in 1996 called the silent shepherd really hard to find it's out there and i think you can still find it on the grace to you website but it's on the book on the holy spirit he wrote this quote two errors regarding the doctrine of the holy spirit have clouded the contemporary church's understanding of his person and ministry on the one hand the charismatic movement is obsessed with the holy spirit tending to focus all doctrine and worship on Him exclusively. The danger with an undue stress on the gifts and leading of the Holy Spirit is that personal experience is often elevated over the objective truth of Scripture. On the other hand, many non-charismatics tend to ignore the Holy Spirit altogether. Perhaps weary of the controversy, confusion, and subjectivity of the charismatic movement, Too many have responded by going to the opposite extreme. They simply avoid the Holy Spirit in their teaching and study. On top of that, popular evangelicalism as a whole has shifted in recent generations from God-centered ministry to a man-centered approach. Pragmatism rules. The churches are run as a business. The gospel is often viewed as a product for marketing spiritual problems are dealt with by psychological means in short man-centered ministry virtually operates as if the holy spirit were unnecessary both errors are spiritually debilitating if we misunderstood the role of the holy spirit or if we ignore the spirit altogether how can we comprehend what it is to walk in the spirit well written that's, the whole, that's what we just went through as we sharpened our understanding of the truth of the Holy Spirit. He's there within us, leading us in truth, helping us to yield to Him and what He says. Let me pray for us. Dear Father and Lord Jesus, thank You for sending Your Spirit. And dear Spirit, for coming. And indwelling us. Thank you for convicting us of our unbelief of you, Lord Jesus, as Savior, as the sufficient Savior, convicting us that our good works were worth something when they weren't, and showing us the judgment was coming because of our unbelief. You did that for us. And we thank you for those truths. All because of a plan you have, Father, for your choice of us, for your purposes and glory only. Help us to remember that. Help us to remember that our salvation is more than going to heaven, it's it's being like you and going there to be with you. Help us to yield to the truth. Give us discernment to understand the truth about you, Holy Spirit. Give us wisdom. And give us a heart of gratitude. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.